Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from Job chapter 9, verses 1 through 10. We don't often read from the book of Job in a setting like this. Of course, we will on Wednesday nights when we get there. We'll talk all the way through it. But it's a difficult book to read just a little bit out of it because it's a, most of the book itself is a conversation between people who are sort of uh, talking through what they think of um, when they think of what God is like and how that works in this world. And, and some of what they say is just right on track, and some of it is just not at all. And so uh, sorting that out is one of, the, uh, one of the good parts of that book, but, uh, but it makes just reading it without explaining it a little difficult. Where we are right now is Job chapter 9, verses 1 through 10, and this is actually Job responding to uh, one of his friends and saying, listen, let me, let me tell you uh, why it is that, uh, that what you're saying is garbage, basically. So here we go. Uh, Job chapter 9, verses 1 through 10. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and we thank you for your word which you have given to us. Lord, we do ask that as we hear your word this morning, read and proclaimed, God, that... Um, that you would give us ears to hear. You would give us minds to understand and hearts to be changed more into the people that you created us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. Or that we would uh, come to love and trust you more in everything. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Then Job replied, Indeed, I know that this is true, but how can mere mortals prove their innocence before God? Though they wished to dispute with him, they could not answer him one time out of a thousand. His wisdom is profound. His power is vast. Who has resisted him and come out unscathed? He moves mountains without their knowing it and overturns them in his anger. He shakes the earth from its place and makes its pillars tremble. He speaks to the sun and it does not shine. He seals off the light of the stars. He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. He is the maker of the bear and Orion, the Pleiades and the constellations of the south. He performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that cannot be counted. Turning then to our New Testament lesson. This is from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Page 1818 in your pew Bibles. And this comes at the turning point in the book of Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians is one of those letters that just divides so neatly in half. Where the first three chapters, Paul is talking about who Jesus is and what that means for us. Of what, uh, what God has done for us in Christ. And then chapter 4 begins very clearly with a, okay, so therefore, if this is the case, then what does that mean as far as how we live this out? Uh, how we live this reality out in our everyday lives. So here's where that begins. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, 
one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the, cunningness, by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our sermon text for this morning is John chapter 6, verses 16 through 29. And uh, if you look there, we'll actually have covering kind of two stories uh, that happen back to back, but they kind of relate to each other. And all of this is in the context of the Gospel of John, who, um, who tells us that he wrote this particular book for a reason. And we have been looking at this again and again, and we're looking at it again and again for a reason. Uh, it's really easy to kind of get off track and to, um, to make things into something that they're not. And so when John tells us clearly, here's why I wrote this to you, I want us to keep coming back to that. So we remember, this is why John wrote this to us. This is John uh, chapter 20, and starting in verse 30, he says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written, why? That you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Okay, here's the thing. John uh, wants us to know these things. That I didn't write down everything, but I wrote down some things. And the things that I wrote, I wrote for a reason. I wrote them because I want you to know them. And I want you to know them so that your life would be changed. That you would know, because you know who Jesus is, and he would change your life. And the reason that John says he wants uh, people to know this is because John had had his life changed by Jesus. He had spent three years hanging out with Jesus, following Jesus, watching the things that he did, listening to the things he said, doing the things that Jesus was asking him to do. I mean, these, this was a, uh, a friendship, a relationship, and he says, this guy is not like anybody else. And I want you to know who he is so that he can change your life too. That's the idea. So as we, and the reason I bring this up again is as we are reading everything that John wrote, we have to read it with this in mind. That John had a perspective on things where he got to see things the crowds didn't get to see. And that's one of the things we're going to look at today. Is there are two stories. One that happens with the whole crowd. Another one that happens just with the disciples. And John got to see both. 
And so he gets to write about both. And so there are people who are in the crowd that didn't get to see all the stuff John got to see, but he writes these things down. He says, I can't write everything, but I'm going to write down uh, some of what I have seen that not even the crowds got to see so that you will know who this guy is, that your life would be changed as well. So what is it? Uh, what does he tell us about for today? It's John chapter 6, verses 16 through 29. And we have, uh, as I say, two stories, two um, kind of occasions where Jesus interacts, one with the disciples and two with the crowds. One on the sea and one on the land. One at night and one in day. One in stormy weather, one when it's calm. So there are distinctions and differences. One where he uh, displays something unique about who he is and the other where he uh, just talks about this uniqueness. So here we go. I hope that uh, as, as we are reading this, that John has written to us, that we can kind of share in John's perspective, that this would not just be a reading of his experience, but that we would also be kind of putting ourselves right there with him and experiencing um, what he was experiencing that he wanted us to know about. John chapter 6, starting in verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. And some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So to set the stage, this comes immediately on the heels of Jesus feeding 5,000 men, plus women and children, in the wilderness with only five loaves of bread and two fish. What we talked about with that last week is how the disciples, Jesus has this conversation with the disciples. How are we going to do this? We have no way to feed this many people. Correct. And then Jesus does what they were helpless to do. The situation immediately following is that now, okay, they... He goes up on a mountain to pray because the king, they were going to try to make him a king by force. And he's like, nope, we're not doing that. You still have uh, the wrong attitude in your hearts about this thing. You want me to be a king to advance your agenda, and that's not how this works. 
So he goes up on a mountain to pray. The disciples go in the boats to go across uh, the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum. But on their way, they encounter a, a storm in the night, uh, in the nighttime, which is pretty common there. But here they are rowing and rowing and rowing. And I saw one commentary that says that the time that he actually goes out to them, they would have probably been rowing for about eight or nine hours against the way. They're just not making progress. They're not getting to where they're trying to go, even as much as they are straining against the oars. And so, again, it almost seems like the same kind of situation with where they were with the uh, feeding of 5,000 people. Like, look, we can do all we want, but in our own strength, we can't do it. They're as helpless on the water as they were on the land. And then we have this bizarre situation where Jesus walks to them on the water. And we'll get to their reaction in a little bit, but I think today people have kind of two main reactions to Jesus walking on the water. Um, one is, well, of course Jesus walked on the water. He's Jesus. That's what he does. He just does that kind of thing. We've heard this story from the time we were kids, right? Jesus walks on water. Not a problem for us. And uh, my mom actually tells a story that when she first told me that Jesus walked on the water, I was very little, uh, she said, did you know that Jesus walked on the water? I said, yeah. And she was like, really? How did you know that? I said, that's why he had the towel on his shoulder. Um, which, if you've seen the illustrations, I guess it's fitting. <laughs> I'm not sure that's what that was for. <laughs> anyway, so for some of us, that's kind of how it is. Yeah, that's, uh, we've heard this from the time we were kids. We get it. Jesus walks on water. That's what he does. But then there's another group that goes, yeah, it makes a great kid story, but we're grown-ups now. People don't walk on water. That's not how that works. And so, uh, you know, it, fine story, but I don't buy it. It doesn't happen. And of those two groups, those two ways of responding, I think the disciples on the boat are more like that latter group. When they see somebody walking on the water, they don't go, oh, good, it's Jesus. <laughs> That's what he does. No, they're terrified because people don't do this. This isn't what happens. People don't walk on the water. That's why John writes this down for us later and says, guys, you got to know about this. Jesus did something that people don't do. We know how the world works. People can't walk on the water, but Jesus did. This is different. And, uh, and Jesus also knows this is not just what ordinary people do. Uh, this, um, this translation is, is tricky. A lot of translating is uh, tricky from one language to another. This was... Uh, written in Greek, and as we bring it over in English, this translation, this works. What Jesus says to the disciples when he's on the water, they're afraid. And what is it he says to them, verse 20? He said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. And so it's almost like we have this uh, situation where if you've ever been uh, like at home, you're not expecting anybody, and then all of a sudden there's a knock at the door, and you're like, ah. You kind of get startled. You say, who's there? And you hear a voice on the other side that's a very familiar voice say, it's me. And you're like, ah, okay. And it kind of reads that way, doesn't it? Where it's the disciples are startled because, ah, there's somebody here. And then Jesus is like, ah, it's me. And they're like, oh, okay, good. Now we don't need to worry anymore. But there's more to what's going on here than just that. That is, by the way, 
a legitimate translation. I think there's more to it uh, because John uses the exact wording that he uses here. As he writes his gospel, he tells us of seven times, and seven is a big number for John as he writes through this. There are a lot of things he puts in there seven times and no more, no less. And this is one of the things he puts in there only seven times and exactly seven times is Jesus saying these two words uh, in the Greek John writes, is ego eimi, which is I am. Now you can translate that as, yeah, it's me, it's I. Uh, But this is the same words that in the Greek translation of the Old Testament that God says to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. We're going to go there just in case. Um, This is Moses who sees a bush that's burning, but it's not burning up, and he goes over to check it out, and God is speaking to him. And Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So this is the way that God identifies himself to Moses and therefore to all the people of Israel is he says, just tell them, I am. Now we can talk a long time about what in the world that means, but the point is, this is how God identifies himself to his people. And now we have Jesus walking on the water, which we just read in Job, only God treads on the water, right? Nobody else does this. Now we have Jesus doing something that only God does. And then when the disciples are afraid, what is it that he says to them? I am. Don't be afraid. You're going to wait a second. (laughs) Wait a second. This is Jesus doing what only God can do and identifying himself in a way that only God has identified himself. And John records uh, seven times throughout this gospel that Jesus says exactly that. There are also seven times where he says, I am dot, 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 like I am the bread of life. I am uh, the true vine, et cetera, et cetera. Seven of those, but there are seven where it's not dot, dot, dot. It's I am, period. We've already seen one in John chapter 4 when uh, Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman, and she's like, you know, the Messiah someday, he's going to come. And and Jesus says, yeah, I am. Conversation over, she runs, and she starts telling people, guess who I found? And here we have the disciples in a similar situation. They're in a situation where they can't do anything on their own, They are exhausted. They are worn out. And here we have Jesus coming to them on the water, doing what only God can do and saying, I am. And then it says, uh, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they're heading. So once he's in the boat, now we have no problem getting here. How did that happen? There again. All right. So that's one situation. So there were two. The first situation is with the disciples. It's on the sea. It's at the night, in the night, during a storm. The other is the next day, and it's with the crowds. And the crowds are still responding to having that amazing meal the day before where uh, 5,000 were fed with not very much stuff. And they go, you know, we want to go find this guy. Now, he's separated from the disciples. He uh, sent them on the boat. And the people know that they didn't go together. And so they're like, all right, so where did he go? We don't know. 
We know where they went. Let's just go try to follow them. And I think that the idea is we're going to go find those disciples and we're going to hang out with them because surely they're going to meet up with Jesus again at some point and we're going to be there when that happens. And so they go and they find the disciples and they get there and Jesus is already there. Did we miss something? And so they ask him, when did you get here? You know, there aren't a lot of options. And walking across the water is not one of the options they're even considering because, as we mentioned earlier, people don't do that. Okay. And so they're saying, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. So what's he saying? You had a meal yesterday for free, and you want another free meal today. But Jesus says what you missed is that there's a lot more to that meal that you had yesterday. And what you are doing is being really short-sighted if you're just thinking about another meal. Really short-sighted. Um, C.S. Lewis may have heard this uh, before, it says, uh, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum, because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And I really think that is what Jesus is saying to the crowds here, is you are far too easily pleased. You are not even understanding what it is that I have to offer, which is so much more than another meal. We ought to be thinking back two chapters to when he's having uh, this conversation with the woman at the well, and he says, you know, living water, right? He's talking about the living water. Whoever has this will never thirst again. And she's like, oh, sir, give me this living water so I don't have to keep coming back to the well. And he's like, <laughs> okay, maybe not literally. Uh, <laughs> but it's the, no, 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 no. I'm talking about something so much more than the physical water that you drink. I'm talking about something that is an eternal life. And I'm using the water as a way of helping you to understand that. Can you understand that? And the same thing he's saying with this food. Yes, I provided you a meal, but that meal was to be a sign of something so much more than just a meal. And if all you're thinking about is just, can he give me another meal? Well, yes, he can, but that's not the point. I want us to think about the way we pray. Are we praying for just another meal? Are those the kinds of prayers that we're praying? Because if so, that's okay. Jesus actually tells us to pray. Give us this day our daily bread, right? And what is that but a prayer for another meal, right? And so it's not that that is wrong to pray. It is that that is short-sighted if that's all we're praying. And so even when Jesus teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, that's not the entirety of the prayer. It's not, dear God, give me my bread, goodbye. (laughs) It is our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
And only after we get uh, everything in perspective, then we say, and (laughs) give us this day our daily bread. And so now even that request for bread is just a matter of, uh, of trust in the provision of the Heavenly Father who knows what we need and provides what we need when we need it. This is right back to that uh, same issue we had with the crowd from the day before where they wanted to force Jesus to be a king, and so he withdraws. That same request can either be, I am submitting to you and your kingdom, and I trust in you to do what is good and right and to give me what I need when I need it. So there's that, or there's the way the crowd is doing it, which is, give me my bread so I can go do what I want. Just give me my bread, and I'm out of here. Same prayer. The two very different uh, hearts behind it. So here's what he says about it. He says, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. Here echoes of that living water. The food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Also, from Matthew uh, 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Same kind of thing. Jesus is saying, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures eternal life. And immediately they hear this word work and they say, yeah, good point. What kind of work should we be doing? And so they say, what must we do to do the works God requires? And it's almost like they're, they're like breaking out their pens and uh, notepads and they're ready to write down the list of whatever, you know, I, I know that God wants us to do all kinds of things. There's 600 and however many laws in the Old Testament. And it's a lot to keep track of. Um, but if you can just summarize as much as you can, what all we need to do, we'll do our best to do those things. So, okay, we're ready. And he's like, works? I'll give you one. There's one work. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Write that down if you need to. But it's just the one. To believe in the one he has sent. This is why John has been writing this to us. And actually... We're going to see next week and weeks to come how the crowds respond to this. We're going to see how the disciples respond. We're going to see how those are two very different responses. But for now, it doesn't really matter how the crowds responded. It doesn't really matter how the disciples respond. What matters is how do we respond to hearing this, that the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. That Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Son of Man, that he is truly human, that he is truly divine, that he is the Word of God made flesh, who has made his dwelling among us. As we said earlier, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Do we believe this to be true? And not just do we believe it, um, or did we believe it at one point in don't anymore. Do we believe it today and not tomorrow? But do we believe it as an ongoing belief that actually changes the way in which we live because it changes the way in which we relate 
to God our Creator, our Father, who art in heaven? That is the question uh, for us today. Like I say, we will get to uh, the crowd's response later. But for today, John has given us two stories of things Jesus did, things Jesus said, that we would... uh, that we would believe that he is the Messiah, that we would have life in his name. So do we. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. God, we thank you for the ways that you have... Uh, shown yourself to us, the ways that you've revealed yourself in creation, the ways you've revealed yourself in your word, and Lord, the ways that you have revealed yourself to us most fully in the person of Jesus. Lord, we ask that you would uh, give us hearts that are ready to receive your message of Jesus. Give us hearts that are ready to receive Jesus himself as our Lord, as our Savior, as our King over every aspect of our lives. Lord, that our lives would be changed and that our desires would not be so short-sighted. But Lord, that we would have life in your kingdom now and forever. Lord, we pray all these things In the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now to stand and remind ourselves, as Christians, who it is that we believe and trust in, using the words of the Apostles' Creed as printed on the inside cover of our hymnals. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He descended into heaven. He sitteth on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, communion of saints, forgiveness of sins, resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen.